0: Well, we have two readings this morning, so if you'd like to, first of all, open your Bibles up to Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to begin reading from verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And the second reading is taken from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, and beginning at verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity, and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites! Why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, And asked him, and he asked them, whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Certainly as Christians you don't really have to think too hard or look too deep to realise that the society of which we're a part of is way out of whack with what God's original intention for, for the world was. When he created human beings he created them in his image to be his image bearers and to care for the world. Now, just imagine what society would be like if it was just full of people that looked like God, had his nature, bore his image and behaved the way that he would have us behave, the way shown, for example, by Jesus in his life. sounds like a pious dream and in some senses it is. And it's easy to look into society and criticise what's wrong here and what's wrong there and what's going wrong all around. But then we can turn the focus on the church and we find so much of the institutional church especially is also out of whack with what God intended for it. Somehow the church is here to serve God's purposes, but it seems to serve itself. The focus seems to be on maintaining the church, not doing what God wants the church to do. And time and time again, we have to keep coming back to what is God's purpose for the church. What is God's purpose for my life in the church? What is God's purpose for my life in society? Because so much of the church life, the church structure, doesn't encourage us to follow the example of our Lord and Saviour. Jesus' primary ministry was to proclaim and demonstrate God's kingdom. That is God's sovereign rule on earth. And since God's kingdom was so important to Jesus in his ministry and the way he trained his disciples to pass it on, it should be important to the church today, important to every follower of Christ. Yet for too long now, somehow we've privatised the Christian message. It's all about me. Me as the individual. We've forgotten Paul's words. We personalise them and we don't think that Paul was talking to a church. A church, a body of people to go out there and change things. And society is quite happy for Christians to huddle together in quiet little rooms and as long as they just talk to their God and don't say anything to us, society is happy. But that's not the gospel that Jesus proclaimed by far. As a follower of Christ, we are a citizen of heaven. We live in an alien land, in a sense, but we come as God's representatives, his citizens, citizens of his kingdom. And we should live like his citizens. Yet for too long, the message has been narrowed down to, well, here's some rules, some moral things to follow. Do that, and when you die, you'll go to heaven. You'll escape all this anguish, and whatever happens to them, well, that's their concern. But the Christian message is that we should be transforming life on earth in our lifetime. And so we should be tallying of the kingdom and demonstrating the kingdom just as Jesus did. Jesus didn't just do a miracle because he felt sorry for somebody. He was showing that, you know, you wouldn't get this sort of illness, you wouldn't get this um, pain and agony in God's kingdom, so let me just show you how God's kingdom works and he heals people and so on. He was demonstrating the kingdom in very specific ways, challenging people's perception of life. It doesn't have to be like this. This is not all that there is. There is more. And if only you could grasp that more, things could be different. As I said, that Paul spoke to churches. He wrote letters to churches. Not for them to go off and have sort of super quiet times and become super pious people themselves, although that is important to some extent. But so the body was out there in the marketplace from, if you like, 12 o'clock on a Sunday when they leave church and they were out there till 10 o'clock when they came back to church the following Sunday. Changing things. Whatever they were doing, what are you going to be doing at 11 o'clock tomorrow? Just think in your mind, and that's a point where perhaps if you're meeting somebody or if you're at work in an office or whatever, God wants you to be his citizen in that place at that time. And that happens for every minute of the week. The purpose is that we're supposed to go out and have a godly impact on everybody and everywhere we go. Now when it comes to God's kingdom, there's two basic misunderstandings that Christians have. One is that the kingdom is equivalent to the church. And I don't know. I mean, I'd like to think that if you came to St. Paul's, you'd get a good glimpse of the, the kingdom. But I can think of churches where um, I, I wouldn't encourage that sort of line of thought at all. So the church ideally should demonstrate and show the kingdom of God but they're not co-equal by far. And the other one is that the kingdom is equivalent to heaven. And then of course that puts it up there, out of the way and somewhere where I hope to go one day rather than the kingdom being in the here and now. The kingdom is from God who lives in heaven, who reigns from heaven, but is for the earth, for us now. And that's why Jesus, he just didn't make up this prayer to make it sound nice, because it rhymed like a poem or something. That's why he taught his disciples on earth as it is in heaven. And every time we pray that prayer, if we really mean about what we're saying and we're sincere, we're praying for God's kingdom values and his kingdom, his sovereign rule, to be on earth as it is in heaven. And of course, God's kingdom will not come in its fullness until Christ returns. And in our present age, then his kingdom's going to be in tension with the tensions of the world. And we have to live in that tension. Yet you can't help wondering if surely but... slowly but surely, rather, that too many people in our churches... As somehow absorbing the world's values and bringing them into the church rather than taking God's values out into society, into the world. And when we start to do that, we weaken ourselves and we become enfeebled. We lose courage, we lose faith. And in we end up being so grey. And having so many different opinions, remember that in Philippians, be of one mind and one purpose, that we just become a mess. We have nothing to say. Nothing different to say. So let's come back to Christ's intended purpose for ourselves for the church King Jesus wants his family to show his family likeness wherever they go and perhaps through showing that family likeness it might draw people to want to know him And the role of each Christian is to continue Jesus' mission of showing and telling those who don't know it about the culture of God's kingdom. As Christians go about their life in the secular world, they're to infuse that world with the DNA of God's kingdom. So that sounds fine, and it may sound difficult, and it may sound pie in the sky even to some of you. But let's say that's kind of a purpose. But purpose is one thing, but Paul wanted Jesus' followers, the church, to go deeper than that. And when he wrote to the Philippians, he took them to a deeper place than just doing the right thing. He wanted them to have the right purpose, but also the right attitude, because attitude is quite important. We can look at people, and some people are quite defeatist, you know, you, you, you have an issue, and they say, well, I, I can't do that, um, not in a million years. And others say, well, I don't know if I can do it, but I'm going to give it a go. And so attitude. With, well, some, of, some people who like sport will have been watching the Olympics and, and you will see the attitude of those athletes to have to train and to perform and to overcome the barriers in, in, to win the race. But the sort of attitude that Paul wanted his churches to have is the same attitude as Christ. And when you get home, perhaps read that Philippians 2 passage again. It's probably, you've all read it dozens of times, but just read it slowly and try to say, well, what was Paul actually saying to those people? What does it mean for me today? Think of others more highly than yourself. It's not always about me, I know better than you do. And I mean, we're in a selfish society. Everybody is selfish about individualistic, you know, don't get in my space, it's me, I'm on the road, keep out of my way. I want to go fast, I'll overtake you if I want to. Oh, I can't take this call now because you're not important enough. It's all about us. Think of others more highly than yourself. That's humility. And you see, when it comes to the kingdom too, Jesus lived in a land that was occupied by the Roman army, the Roman Empire. The people had to pay taxes to the king of the Romans, i.e. Caesar. And the way the king governed his land was with a huge great army. And if there was any trouble, the army was sent in. And if you were too naughty, you were stuck on a cross or whipped in public so it deterred others from stepping out of line. That's how people saw kings at the time of Jesus. And so we begin to see how radical what Jesus was bringing was how radical what Paul was saying a few years later was. It's not about strutting around and sending your soldiers out and showing your power and driving the biggest car to say, look, I'm better than you. It was being humble. Well, we don't want to be humble because people are just walk all over us. Well, in a sense, they walked all over Jesus and put him on a cross. But somehow, although they thought they'd gained a victory there, they'd lost the war. And then we had that sort of funny little incident that I read about, you know, the, the Pharisees. They come to Jesus, very learned men, knew the Old Testament inside out and backwards, taught it, preached it, Try to live it and there was God in Jesus Christ before them and they were out to get him. They didn't like what he was saying, they didn't like the way he was doing things and the way that people frankly were saying let's follow Jesus and ignoring them. So they tried to trap him in public and they went along and said well is it right that we Jews, proud race, God's chosen people, should pay This money to the Romans. And the idea was that if Jesus said yes, then they could turn to the Jews and say, Look, he's a hypocrite, or whatever. And if he said no, they could turn to the Romans and say, Look, he's inciting us to treason. And Jesus gave them an answer. He said, Well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's due, pay your taxes. because, you know, that's the way it is. But then the sting in the tail was, that would have sent them away with their tail between their legs, as it were, was, give to God what is his due. God in heaven had sent his son, stood before these men, and they didn't recognize him. They weren't giving God his due. They were paying their taxes, probably grudgingly, but they weren't giving God his due. Are we giving God his due? We may pay our taxes, we may pay our quota to the diocese, but are we giving God his due? Jesus' resurrection just proved to the world that he's the world's true Lord. But that was a very subversive lesson, a subversive message. When Paul went around saying that Jesus rose from the dead and he's the world's true Lord, he was saying, but Caesar isn't therefore. And the same is true today. If Jesus is our true Lord, then there's no one on this planet that is of higher authority than Jesus. Jesus is equal with God. Jesus existed before he became a human being. He retained his equality with God when he went to the cross. And so when we look at the cross, we see God in Christ reconciling the world to him. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, dying as an executed criminal, dying under the weight of the world's evil. Jesus abandoned his rights. And we can see now why Paul, when he wrote to those Philippians, said, abandon your rights. Be of one mind, be of one purpose. Think of others more highly than you think of yourself. Those two commandments that we had at the beginning of the service, love God with everything you've got, love your neighbour as yourself. So easy to recite, so hard to do. But that's what we're called to do. And we fail and we get up and we try again. And gradually over the years, we get that little bit better, that little bit better. We're called to follow in Christ's footsteps. We're told that Jesus humbled himself as a servant. And we're called to be servants in God's service keeping our eye on our master and being ready to do his bidding when he wants us to. And another thing that perhaps the institutional church has bred into people that's wrong is that it's all down to the vicar. Whoever's got the dog collar is the one that does the work because after all, they're the ones being paid for it. But Paul didn't see it that way at all. He saw church as a group of lay people sent out to, surround, to their surrounding community to transform it. To proclaim and demonstrate God's kingdom wherever they lived and worked and played and so on. To live by God's values in their homes and in the wider marketplace. And so the way a Christian businessman does business should be different from somebody who's not. Paul also tells us that every Christian, by definition, has the spirit of Christ, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, living in them. And he doesn't just live there because it's a nice place to be. He lives there to empower that person to do God's will. And perhaps one of the biggest needs in our churches at the moment is that as Christians we tune in to what the Spirit's saying and have the humility to follow where he leads. If you like to think of it in modern terms, think of it as a partnership with God. We partner with God and we partner with each other to proclaim God's kingdom. We encourage each other so that we all grow more and more in the family likeness. And we take that family likeness out and show others glimpses of what God's kingdom is like, what society on earth could be like. And always remember that our role. is to infuse the world with God's values. Not to absorb the world's values into our churches. So I leave you today with one question that you may need to take some time out to work through. But ask yourself, how can the transforming love of Christ work in and through you to transform the world around you. Amen. Let's just take a moment and we'll invite the Holy Spirit to say what he wants to, each one of us, and then Jude will lead us into a time of musical worship. So, dear Spirit, we just welcome you now into our hearts and minds. And please speak to each one of us what you would say at this point in time. Guide us and transform us and help us to tune in to what you're saying to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.